I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Plus. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. The foreperson of the Atlanta special grand jury investigating Donald Trump's efforts to overturn Georgia's election results has done a sort of media tour. Emily Coors has dropped hints about the findings of the grand jury, saying on CNN that the panel's still secret recommendations include indicting more than a dozen people, even hinting strongly that one of the targets would be Trump himself. We definitely heard a lot about former President Trump, and we definitely discussed him a lot in the room. And I will say that uh, when this list comes out, you wouldn't, there are no major plot twists waiting for you. Does her unusual candor about secret proceedings complicate the work of the prosecutor? Here to answer that question is David Super, a professor at Georgetown Law School. Describe the purpose of the grand jury for us. A grand jury was set up to provide the authorities with information about people who had or might have committed crimes. It's an extension, in a sense, of the prosecutorial powers of the state, and it's an effort to inform the prosecutor about things that they might not otherwise know or to bring the people's judgment to bear on evidence the prosecutor has collected that they believe indicates there may be a crime. And why the secrecy? Because a grand jury is set up to be one-sided. There's no defense at a grand jury, and there's no cross-examination. So the witnesses may present a very unfavorable view of an accused person without that person having any chance to respond. It seems unfair to get this information out into the public in a forum where there's no chance to test the validity of what's being said. What was your reaction to the revelations of this foreperson, the media interview she did? I think it was bad judgment, but I don't think it really does very much. First, because what she said wasn't very much. And second, because this wasn't an indicting grand jury. This was a special grand jury with no power to indict. So she wasn't disclosing information about how an indictment was formed because they had no power to create one. So what do you make of all this hubbub surrounding her disclosure, you know, people condemning it on different sides of the aisle? Again, I think it's bad judgment on her part. I think for the people who may be implicated, making a fuss about her interview is a good way of changing the subject from the substance of what some of them may have done. This is a special grand jury that's just issuing recommendations. Another grand jury will be needed to hand down any indictments. But does this interview raise questions about fairness if there are indictments down the road? 
It doesn't, for several reasons. Number one, grand juries are not fair. If they were fair, we would allow defendants to present their side. We would allow cross-examination of witnesses. Fairness comes at a trial. Grand juries are sometimes said they would indict a cheese sandwich at the will of the prosecutor. So there's no fairness issue here at all. Any charges that a later grand jury might bring can be fully tested at trial, and if they're unfounded, defeated. So even if this were someone on the indicting grand jury, it wouldn't raise fairness problems. And as it happens, this is an investigative grand jury who told us very little. She said that we would see recommendations of people whose names we know and people whose names we don't know. Well, everybody in the world is either Mm -hmm. someone whose name I know or someone whose name I don't know. And that didn't tell us anything. And she says that some people might have lied to a grand jury. Well, people unfortunately lie to grand juries all the time, so that's not very enlightening. I would have thought it would be much more important if she named a person and said, this person is lying. But she didn't do anything like that. So there's really nothing here. Grand jury reports are generally secret, but a small part of this one was revealed. Do you think that was a mistake because it might have set the stage for the grand jury foreperson going further and disclosing more? It depends on what you think the purpose of the grand jury was. Special grand juries like this one are very unusual because they don't have an obvious purpose. My sense is that this one was convened because there's been so much said in the media about alleged fraud in the 20. 20- 20 presidential election that the prosecutor felt it was useful to have an impartial group of citizens look into this and clear the air. If that's the purpose, then having the information come out probably was a good idea. Drew Findling, one of Trump's Georgia attorneys, suggested that these interviews, the four persons interviews, could be used against the prosecutor if there are indictments. And he said, the lens now provided by this four person into the lack of seriousness and respect for this process that existed behind the grand jury walls is truly shocking to the legal conscience. Is there anything he can do with that if there is an indictment of Trump? That's absurd. First off, it's not the grand jury that indicted the president that's at issue here. Uh, Whether this grand jury was extraordinarily serious or completely clownish has nothing to do with anything. If a separate grand jury does not decide that the president should be indicted, he will not be indicted. Fulton County Superior Court Judge Robert McBurney, who oversaw the grand jury, essentially said that she hadn't violated her oath because you can't talk about your deliberations But you can talk about other things. Is that different from federal grand juries? Federal grand jury secrecy is extremely broad. But then again, the federal government does not usually employ special grand juries of this kind. So it doesn't have much of a federal parallel at all. Again, I wish she had given the interview But all the reasons why we want grand jurors to not speak don't really apply here. It's not a grand jury issuing an indictment. She didn't describe deliberations. She didn't describe witness testimony. She offered a few 
conclusions that tell us almost nothing we couldn't have guessed before. And you can see that because when reporters went to various witnesses and said, she says they were lying, are you afraid? They all said, well, it wasn't me, which is, of course, what they would have said anyway. So she has done nothing that harms any individual. She has suggested that they found trouble, and that will be tested ultimately at trial. In light of this, a Georgia lawmaker has proposed legislation that would effectively bar media interviews by a juror, making it contempt of court to discuss presentations made to grand juries. Do you think that would be a good reform? I do. I think grand juries can cause a lot of mischief. And I think that grand jury secrecy is a good thing. So the more that can be done to shut down these sorts of outside discussions, the better. There have been allegations of partisanship against this particular prosecutor. Does that make the grand jury process seem even more political, or is it a political process anyway where prosecutors are elected? Prosecutors are elected. In most places, they go through one or the other of the major political parties and no doubt do things to support those parties in order to win the nomination and support in the election. The point of the grand jury, to the extent there is one, is to have a random selection of people who are not elected and are not beholden to any political party look over the evidence before anyone is brought to trial. So a grand jury is a way of reducing partisanship. Some states have cut back on grand juries or abolished them. Do you think that's the right path? I think it is. I don't think the grand juries serve a useful purpose because the presentations they get are so one-sided that they're easy for prosecutors to manipulate. I think they waste a lot of money, and they also give the false impression that a serious weighing of the evidence has been done to bring someone to charges, when in fact it was simply the prosecutor made a decision to do that and presented evidence that supported their case. Thanks so much for your insights. That's Professor David Super of Georgetown Law School. When you see the video of Cardi B walking out of the courthouse after pleading guilty to misdemeanor charges, beside her with the dark shades is the hashtag billion dollar lawyer, Drew Finling, Atlanta attorney to hip hop stars and professional athletes who find themselves in trouble with the law. And soon, Findling may be walking next to an even bigger celebrity. He'll be representing former President Donald Trump if he's indicted for trying to overturn the Georgia presidential election in 2020. Joining me is Bloomberg legal reporter David Voriakis, who interviewed Findling. Hashtag billion dollar lawyer. Tell me what that's about. Drew Finling is a defense lawyer in Atlanta who's built quite a reputation over the last decade representing hip-hop stars and reality TV people who've been caught in legal or criminal problems. And he's gotten a number of people either acquitted or had their charges reduced. And he's built such a reputation that one of the rappers that he represented called him the hashtag billion dollar lawyer. This was a guy named Young Dolph, who Finling was visiting in Hollywood after he'd been shot. The nickname has stuck that Young Dolph died in 2021 from 22 gunshots. 
and he's in courtrooms around the country. He represented Cardi B in New York. Right. There was an assault case in the Bronx, and it involved assaults at two different strip clubs, and she had assault charges that were reduced to misdemeanors. He's also represented the rapper Waka Flocka Flame, who had a gun charge after there was a weapon found in his bag at the Atlanta airport, and he was acquitted. And he also represented several members of the rap group Migos, most particularly after they were arrested at a concert at Georgia Southern University. He's also represented other celebrities like Alvin Kamara, the New Orleans Saints running back, and the rapper DaBaby. And Findling's fame started with representing Atlanta rappers. They find that he is a very competent lawyer who also listens to them and gives them life advice. And he's had a good track record of success. He's been defense lawyer in and around Atlanta for nearly 40 years. And so he knows the prosecutors and the judges and the jurors and he's able to connect with juries in a very powerful way that's brought him a lot of good results. He also connects personally with the various hip-hop people that he represents. His practice goes beyond just criminal representation, or is he just a criminal defense lawyer? He's a criminal defense lawyer who also does civil cases as well. And while he primarily built a really good reputation in the Atlanta area. In the last decade or so, he's done cases all over the U.S. I always find that a lawyer's office says a lot about the lawyer. I know you visited his office. Tell us about it. It's an office in a uh, upscale office park in the Buckhead neighborhood in Atlanta, and there are dozens of framed photographs and newspaper clippings of him with his clients for whom he's gotten good results through the years. And there's also three large paintings in the entry room. One is of Sam Adams, one is of Thurgood Marshall, and one is of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. He has supported progressive legal causes through the years. He was the president for a year of the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers, where he made a number of speeches, and he supports people who are, he believes, unjustly detained and believes that the the criminal justice system is tilted against black and brown defendants. So, as you said, he supports progressive legal causes. He criticized Trump during his time in the White House, once calling him racist and pathetic in a tweet. Why is he taking on Trump as a client? Well, that's not entirely clear to me, except that he defends himself by saying that he's able to separate his clients and his commitment to the law and serving them from his personal life and his personal beliefs and personal political beliefs. Do you know how Trump found him or why he selected him out of all the attorneys in Atlanta? Drew Finling said that some lawyers who worked with Trump reached out to him and interviewed him and um, that he ended up becoming his advocate in Atlanta. At this point, He's representing him in presumably trying to persuade the district attorney 
Bonnie Willis to avoid indicting Trump. Our understanding is that he would also represent him at trial, but I guess we'll have to see what happens when and if that becomes necessary. And you spoke to colleagues of his who said that he's very good at convincing prosecutors not to bring charges. Right. It's not only that he's excellent on his feet in the courtroom and a terrific cross-examiner and can really bond with a jury, but that he understands how state and federal cases are constructed and can convince prosecutors many times to either forego charges altogether or not bring the charges that are as serious as they're initially contemplating. So it could well be that his service to Donald Trump is in convincing Fonnie Willis not to charge him at all. And do you know if he has met Trump yet? It's not clear to me if he's met him, but I know that he's spoken with him. What did he say, if anything, about Trump's case? He would not talk about the terms of his engagement or Trump's case specifically. What he would talk about is the RICO statute, which, you know, of course, is the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act under Georgia law, which is something that Fonnie Willis, the district attorney, has brought a number of times, particularly in her war on gang violence in Atlanta. And he believes, as many other defense lawyers do, that the RICO statute is overused in Georgia and that it gives prosecutors sort of an unfair advantage with juries. Most famously, Bonnie Willis in 2015 was the lead prosecutor in a RICO case against um, Atlanta public school teachers who were accused of doctoring test scores. He commented on the foreperson of the special grand jury that's been investigating Trump and the election speaking out. Give us the background here. Just to back up for a moment, the special grand jury process is a bit unique in Georgia. Um, They will hear evidence in secret and take testimony from witnesses and then at the end make recommendations either on a particular situation um, or a, a criminal matter, but they do not have the power to indict. So for seven or eight months last year, they heard 75 witnesses who were presented to them by prosecutors in Fonnie Willis's office about Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election in Georgia. Their report, they wrote a report that was handed uh, to the judge who gave it to the district attorney's office, and the media sued to try to get access to that report. A redacted partial version of the report was released in which the public learned that special grand jury recommended perjury charges against one or more witnesses, and they also believed that there was no widespread fraud that occurred in 2020, as Donald Trump has repeatedly said. Since then, uh, last week, the foreperson named Emily Kors gave a number of interviews about the process and essentially told media outlets that they thought there should be indictments coming out of the case. She told NBC that she thought a dozen people should have been indicted. And when she was asked about whether Donald Trump was one of those people, she laughed and left every impression that she believed that Donald Trump should have been one of those people. It caused an uproar and 
there were many questions asked about whether she had exceeded her authority and said too much. Fulton County Superior Court Judge Robert McBurney, who oversaw the case, didn't seem particularly concerned about the four persons' remarks. We interviewed Superior Court Judge Robert McBurney, who essentially said that she was given an oath that she was not to discuss jury deliberations and that that was the single most important thing for her to do is to uphold that oath of not talking about jury deliberations, but he had no problem with her talking to the media. Are the rules for grand jurors in Georgia different from the rules for federal grand jurors? Yes, they're a little more permissive for Georgia than they are for federal grand jurors. In Georgia, grand jurors can discuss the evidence that they've heard. A federal grand juror cannot discuss the evidence that they've heard, and both federal and state panels are not allowed to discuss their deliberations. Since all of this happened last week, there's a state senator, Brandon Beach, who's a Donald Trump ally, who introduced a bill in the state legislature that would essentially toughen the existing law and introduce the possibility of contempt of court for anyone who discusses presentations or essentially the evidence presented to a grand jury. So now we have the background. What did Finling say about this grand jury spokeswoman making these revelations? Finling, who has not commented on the investigation for months, essentially broke his silence and was highly critical of Emily Kors, the foreperson, and he released a statement that was quite critical of her and said that it is emblematic of a deeply flawed process. He said, the lens now provided by this foreperson into the lack of seriousness and respect for this process that existed behind the grand jury walls is truly shocking to the legal conscience. And they suggested, Drew Finling and a couple of other lawyers that he's working with, suggested that they may file some type of legal motion in response, although it's not entirely clear what that would be because there is no case yet. And also because it's not going to be the recommendations of this special grand jury, but Fannie Willis is going to have to go and convene another grand jury or use one of the criminal grand juries that's already in session to get an indictment. Exactly. I mean, it's an entirely separate decision-making process that the district attorney has to make, and a whole different panel would make a decision on whether to indict or not. I guess we'll just have to wait and see what might come of defense efforts to make hay with comments by Emily Kors. Trump is also represented in Georgia by Atlanta lawyer Jennifer Little. So are they going to work together? That's not clear to me. They both have a lot of trial experience in the Atlanta area. She had been a assistant district attorney in DeKalb County, which is the next county over. Um, And presumably they'd be working with a wide array of other defense attorneys in the area, particularly if Willis tries to build a conspiracy case. They would presumably try to break down that case to its various parts and attack it as best they can. Drew Finling has never been a prosecutor. He's always been a defense attorney, but he has good relations with a lot of other defense attorneys in the area. Interesting story. Thanks so much, David. That's Bloomberg legal reporter David Voriakis. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show.
Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at www.bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. And remember to tune into the Bloomberg Law Show every weeknight at 10 p.m. Wall Street time. I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world.